Soda City Speaks listeners, what is going on? I'm your host, Dylan Gunnels, joined with... Ome Samarahemtula. And, oh my gosh, it is September. I have no idea what happened to this year. (laughs) The Um, kids are back in school, mm. getting the COVID. It's (laughs) it's a mess. September's a mess. I saw a meme the other day. Oh, I'm rabbit trailing now. This is what I do best. I I saw a meme the other day that said, um, the moment you realize that it's almost 2022... And you're still processing the end of 2019, <laughs> which was three years ago. Three years Your mind ago. needs to process all those three things right now. So you're welcome for that for the day. And we'll just give you more to process right now. Yeah. <laughs> We're excited that you're here. We've got another great episode and we will jump into the headlines. And then after the headlines, we'll be having two more candidate interviews. We want to get through all of them before November 2nd. Um, And then we'll end with our community listings. So yeah, let's start with headlines. Let's dive right in. Richland County is recognizing the work of frontline workers by giving out almost $7 million in federal COVID-19 relief funds. County employees will receive stipends starting at $2,500, depending on their field of work and their potential risk. Governor Henry McMaster and SC Department of Transportation officials announced a plan to use $360 million from the Federal American Rescue Plan funding to accelerate the widening of the I-26, you know, that area that we call the malfunction junction. The accelerated timeline would speed up the project by at least six years. Carolina Film Network, a locally owned nonprofit and film society, and Spotlight Cinema's Capital 8, a locally-owned first-run theater, are partnering to create the Art House Theater. The goal is to bridge the gap between independent filmmakers and artists to industry professionals to give access to grants, education, and networking. The Riverbank Zoo is looking for 500 volunteers to help with the annual Boo at the Zoo, coming back in October for 11 nights. Check out the volunteer information on the zoo website and contact Katie Mixon with dates and availability and the number of volunteers in your group. The City of Columbia is reviewing plans for a new housing development to build seven single-story homes on Hayward Street, right across the street from Olympia and Granby Mills Apartments. The Design and Development Review Commission will review the proposal at the upcoming meeting on September the 9th. The local wine parlor, Lula Drake, has been featured in the New York Times article, How Eating Out Has Changed, From the Menu to the Tip. The article juxtaposes the food scene pre- and post-pandemic and the changes it ensued. A Richland School District 2 African Studies teacher, Salda Collins, was named a finalist for the 2021 National History Teacher of the Year Award. She teaches at Jackson Creek Elementary School and was previously awarded the Presidential Award for Excellence in Mathematics and Science Teaching in 2004. The City of Columbia will require all employees be vaccinated against COVID-19 beginning in November. The City also will give some frontline employees a bonus for their working during the pandemic. The South Carolina Supreme Court struck down the City of Columbia's requirement of face masks in elementary and middle schools. The court ruled that the city cannot issue a mask mandate in schools because it was in conflict with the South Carolina State Proviso that was passed in June declaring that no state funds could be used to enforce mask mandates. And in a response to that Supreme Court ruling, the City of Columbia on September 8th passed a mass requirement for the entire city and will not require school administrators to enforce mask mandates, but 
Rather, the citywide enforcement will come from fire officials. This city mandate does not conflict with the South Carolina proviso as it does not require educational funding to be used to enforce the mandate. A citywide mass mandate was also implemented in West Columbia. At least three schools in the Midlands have gone to virtual learning due to a rise in COVID cases and students in quarantine. Carolina Springs and Pleasant Hill Middle Schools in Lexington started remote learning after Labor Day. Centerville Elementary School was the first school to move to virtual learning back in August and will continue to do so until at least September 13th. And in Columbia City campaign news, in an expected move, Mayor Steve Benjamin has endorsed his former aide, Sam Johnson, in the upcoming mayoral race. And those are your headlines, credited to the state newspaper, the Post and Courier, WLTX, and COLA Today. Yeah, so we are just a couple days late getting this out, um, but I think that ended up working in our favor because we got to see the endorsement today from Mayor Benjamin for Sam Johnson. And, um, you know, it just got me thinking. Uh, we are in the middle of September now, so mm-hmm. that means elections are two months away. We're just at the end of the first week of September. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I'm trying to put <laughs> so, us too far ahead. <laughs> no, we're not that late with the episode. Um, but, yeah, that was not shocking news this morning, I think. Um, the mm-hmm. endorsement, we were expecting it. Yeah, I mean, I was expecting it. I just think it got me thinking we are, maybe we're not in the middle of September, but we'll be there before you know it. And we're basically a month and a half away from elections because the elections are November 2nd. So Mm -hmm. you don't really have November. So we're talking the rest of September and October. And um, it's just been interesting to watch the rise of different candidates. And so I'm hearing a lot more about oddity Mm -hmm. bustles i'm hearing a lot more about detrist over matthews um and now of course hearing a lot about sam johnson and seeing this endorsement today so um it's just interesting and i'm not gonna act like you know politics is any different anywhere else but it's interesting to watch columbia politics play out because columbia is big enough but it's also small enough and you start to get to know everybody Mm -hmm. and you start to have those conversations of who are you supporting well Mm -hmm. i'm supporting it Next thing you know, you've really been in the thick of these conversations, and it's been interesting to watch candidates rise up. Um, I should also take note that we are in the studio right now, and it's raining cats and dogs. It is. I mean, it's, we call it a studio, but it's not. <laughs> Don't that, give away our secrets. It's not that soundproof. So, I mean, it's a beautiful backdrop to talking about Columbia politics. But, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's exciting to see, I think, because we haven't seen a race like this in 10 years, mm-hmm. right? There hasn't been uh, a real mayoral um, election in 10 years. And so I think, um, and, you know, especially in being in it, right, and reporting on it, it is exciting to kind of see yeah. these waves of endorsements and, you know, some coming to the top. And, and, and you know, I doubt that there's, I mean, I can't be sh- for sure, but I don't think there's any polling. So it's really this really informal polling in our heads, yeah. like talking to people. And, and I think, though, that also... You know, our polling is based on who we know. We're calling it polling. So I'm really just interested to see, like, what's going to come out of this. And and just on that note, Soda City Speaks is hosting an election night party. If you are interested in coming to this party where we're going to screen 
you know, we're have a big screen up and we'll all be hanging out and, you know, having some beverages and eating and fun things like that. Do email us. We'll let you know the secret location. So it's <laughs> sodacityspeaks at gmail.com. Um, yeah. Please do join us on November 2nd in the we evening. We would love to have you and watch the results come in. And um, on that note, you know, I think just real quick on me, I, yeah. I wanted to add to that uh, that endorsement is just... I, I guess my point is it's been interesting to watch because we've been really fortunate doing this podcast that we get to talk to each one of these candidates individually. Mm-hmm. We get to spend some time with them, really getting to know them and their story. Um, there's a lot of really viable candidates running and really? the field is large at this point. And I have loved to watch the tennis match or the <laughs> ping pong match of these candidates going back and forth. And really, I, at this point, like you said, there's no real polling. And so I'm curious to see who's going to come out on top. But in the mayor's race, I'm really curious at this point because, um, you know, Daniel Rickman seems to have a strong campaign going. Um, but I'm interested. Uh, yeah, but I'm interested to see how that plays out um, considering his background, uh, his voting record, his business experience what that means um, mm-hmm. for the voting block, specifically in the city limits of Columbia, South Carolina. But then also you have Tamik Isaac Devine, who, again, has been in for 20 years, heavily engaged in the community, definitely a household name. She is the name. She like, is the name. Out of all three of the, she is for all sure. three of the candidates. She is the name that people know. And- but now you're looking at somebody who was in the mayor's office, mm-hmm. who... Ha- doesn't necessarily have the name that Tamika does, but has been engaged in the community. And now you're looking at a month and a half before the race or before the election. And you just got an endorsement from the mayor. And so that's huge. Um, And it's not that everybody loves Mayor Benjamin. I'm not naive enough to think (laughs) that. Um, But that is huge. And so I'm just very interested how it's going to play out. And um, so we shall see. I think it's a game changer. The endorsement, even though it might have, there's always kind of that undertone of an informal endorsement that um, Mayor Benjamin has given Sam. I yeah. think this really kind of blows it out of the water and really changes the dynamics of the race. Like, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I think, like you said at the beginning, and then we can get to our interviews, but um, we all kind of expected it, but we weren't positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's out there. It's a real endorsement. So we'll see how the cards fall based on the endorsement. And if you loyal listeners remember that we did an interview with um with the mayor mm-hmm. to start to kick off this podcast. And I don't think we asked him about the election and who he we was didn't. supporting or anything like that. We we purposely stayed away from that question because we knew he wasn't going to yeah. answer that. But um Sam just seems to be a continuation of the mayor and his priorities and his policies, obviously, because Sam was a big part of that. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, listen back to that interview. But, you know, next month we will be speaking with Sam, with Tamika and with Daniel. So also stay tuned. For uh, that. Don't forget Mo. We have to oh, extend Mo! the invitation yes! to Mo Badura. Yes, we will also be speaking with Mo Badura. But in the meantime, if you want to know more about these candidates, there have been um, two mayoral recently two mayoral candidate um forms that you can watch online one was the food policy one and you can watch that um either on the wtx uh facebook or the food share south carolina's facebook or um the arts and culture 
a mayoral candidate uh, forum, which you can again watch on W. Oh no, I think the state actually. That was on the state. Yep. The state's Facebook or the Facebook for One Columbia Arts and Culture. And there's also, I know we didn't say this in events, but there's also a mayoral candidate forum that's going on with the Columbia Urban League. Oh. And that is September 14th at 7 p.m. Definitely. Too. Um, so you can go to uh, their website, the Urban League website, and get the information on that, too. All right. Lots so, of opportunities to hear from the candidates, for sure. Definitely. And one of your most promising opportunities right here on Soda City Speaks. And speaking of candidates, we've got two for you today. We have Tina Herbert and Krista Williams, who we will be speaking to. Uh, both the interviews were um, super interesting. Both these women are very uh, dynamic. They have great ideas. And they're both running for the District 1 seat, which uh, was My formerly... Home district which was formerly held by Sam Davis, or I guess still until the elections, and he's decided not to run. Uh, definitely a legacy. Definitely, you know, big shoes to fill, so to speak. But we were really lucky to be able to speak with both of them. And I think in one of the conversations, um, we talked a lot about civic engagement. And I think when we started this podcast, we didn't have an opportunity to talk about why we started this podcast. Um, so, I mean... When we had that conversation, we really saw that this was our um, form of civic engagement. We're both really politically inclined. We both, you know, we talk about this in one of the interviews. Um, we both are really committed to political change through policy. Um, yeah. And so informing the public and, and having a conversation with the public about city politics and policies and changes is it, for us was part of our civic engagement duty, I guess. Maybe yeah. duty is a bit of a heavy word but yeah for sure I, I think and that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about the conversation with Tina Herbert is we really dug into systemic change and policy change and the importance of being engaged and it doesn't mean that every person runs for office it doesn't mean that every person is a lobbyist or an activist or, or, or those but it just means that your civic engagement is important and that is why we really are passionate my goodness we are really passionate about this podcast and putting this material out there because we think it's important that you are engaged right here in your own backyard, that mm -hmm. you know what's going on right here, that you know who uh, the key leaders are, who the key activists are, and that you're engaged with them. And so we just hope that um, throughout the duration of this podcast, because even when the election's over, we're still going to keep going. Oh, well, that's when um, we're going to start That's when going. we're really going to start. That, that's when we're really um, starting. And we just really <laughs> hope that you stay engaged um, because we hope that this is an opportunity for you to dig in and learn more about your city and learn how to be engaged in it. So with that. Let's jump into these interviews. So first we have Krista Williams, who is running for District 1. And then we have Tina Herbert, also running for District 1. So give these interviews a listen, and we'll be back. Good afternoon, Soda City listeners. We are continuing our conversations with all the candidates for city elections that are coming up November 2nd. And I'm really excited today to be joined by Krista Williams. Uh, Krista Williams is running for a seat for the city council seat in district one uh krista welcome to soda city speaks thank you uh thank, thank you so much 
And Krista, we've been asking everyone to tell us a bit about themselves. So Krista, tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you from? What brought you to, if you're not from Colombia, what brought you to Colombia? Um, and yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, Ome, my name is Krista Williams. I'm running for Columbia City Council for District 1. I moved to Columbia when I began school at Columbia College. I currently uh, live about eight blocks from Columbia College on Colonial Drive. Um, I, I'm also a state employee. I work in corrections, and I'm in the South Carolina Army National Guard. Um, so through my careers of, of public service and uh, just being involved in the community, I'm a political science major. Uh, so I started in college. I, I guess I, I would say maybe I started being a politician um, in high school. I was voted uh, most opinionated in, in high school uh, because if there was something that needed to have uh, a, a voice of representation, um, I was doing that then. Um, so one of the things, biggest things about me is I like to get get things done. And in the world of politics, we see plenty of politicians bringing their personalities and beliefs um, to the table. But ultimately, uh, I think our belief across this country is to have someone in a seat of representation who will ultimately uh, drive forward the collective needs of the community and actually follow through to creatively get those things done. Because the politician can't get them done by themselves. They may have to offer uh some education to the community on how the community can come together to get things done or rally up the community or work with other politicians or work with other officials to get things done. But ultimately, that leadership perspective of uh, driving home the collective mission of the group and getting the job done collectively with all the working parts around. Um, so that's a little bit about me. I'm very much interested in um, running for Columbia City Council for District 1. There are many needs that are in District 1. Many of us out there have probably heard uh, the large disparity of uh, the large disparity of, of, of you know, neglect um, or things that haven't been done um, within the district. So I'm excited to be running for this position and to be a voice uh, for District 1. And I'd like to just dig in a bit more about who is Krista. So where are you from? And also, I know you from before. I think you've done a lot of work around the get out to vote um, in the presidential election. So tell us a bit more about where you're from, but then also kind of the activism work that you've done. Yes. Well, I'm originally from Orangeburg County. Um, I currently live here in Richland County within the city of Columbia, uh, District 1. Um, and that's where I have lived my the majority of my adult life. Um, so I, I really understand uh, the needs of the people in this area because I live in this area. And I do want to speak to that because I've helped numerous can candidates in different counties, and that moves back to the Get Out the Vote uh, with the Rural South Carolina Project. Um, so I've had an opportunity to work with numerous candidates around our state to help them propel their uh, in, you know, their campaigns forward um, in getting out the vote, getting people in their communities registered to vote, um, educating those voters um, about issues and why it's important to vote. And one of the things that I've noticed going around our um, state and working with those candidates is sometimes um, that perception of the person has to be from that particular area to get something done. And from a voter education standpoint, I consistently tell voters, 
we always sit around the kitchen table on Sundays or around the cookouts outside in the backyard and complain about the same thing not getting done. And oftentimes, who are those elected officials? Some of them are from the areas that we live in. Some of them are not. But the goal is to, from an educational, a voter educational perspective, is to research and get to know candidates and vote for the person who will do the job and who may be already doing the job. That's a very important um, characteristic to look for in anybody running for office. They should already be active in their communities, not saying what they're going to do, not saying what they will do when they're in office, not saying that they're from the area and they know the area better than anyone else. Um, and that may be true, but the distinctive ca the characteristic that should be focused on is someone who will get the job done. It's ultimately your tax dollars that are being utilized for either the right reasons or the wrong reasons and focusing on individuals who drive that mission forward, as I just stated, from a leadership perspective your tax dollars won't be wasted and you will get the best representation. And you mentioned, and I think I, I like what you just mentioned, that it needs to be someone who will get the job done, but someone who already is doing the work. So tell me, like, I want to know more about the work that you've done. I mean, you're basically from District 1. You've been there since college. Um, but what's the work that you've done? So you've talked about the Rural Voter Project. What, what else about Krista, um, you know, gets the job done? Well, one of the biggest things, sometimes getting the job done is not always rolling up your sleeves and physically doing the job. It's that knowledge perspective and ensuring that the people around you are educated. Let's look at the numbers. For District 1, we have over 18,000 voters in this district. How many people have been voting over the last 10 years within District 1? 1,800. 1,600, 2,000 voters out of 18,000 voters. What does that say about our city at a local level? The majority of our voters' voices are not being heard. So there are two things. With voters, we have to have voters. We have to educate voters and motivate them to ensure that they get to the polls and let their voices be heard. And once they let their voices be heard, continuing to propel that movement forward to now hold those officials accountable. But if we are not even motivating and educating our people to get to the polls and allow their voices to be heard, then what can that politician do? The minimal work, because they are not being held accountable by the majority of those voters because those majority of those voters didn't vote that person in. So a lot of times when we are complaining about an issue, we can't get a, someone to answer our phone call. We can't get them to show up. We can't get them to represent. We can't get them to assist us with getting something done in our communities. It's because we gave up that power, that initial power, our constitutional right of voting, to ultimately hold that person accountable. Because when you let your voice be heard, you can either say, yay, I'm gonna let this person be reelected or nay. And oftentimes we have leadership 
that are in places for too long and are not getting the work done and are not educating our voters about the process that it takes for them to have good representation. So as I stated in the beginning, I've rolled up my sleeves yet, but the work that I'm talking about is more of knowledge, awareness, getting the word out so that people get the maximum value for their votes. So let us now shift to take a look at your platform and what are your policy objectives. So in terms of this running for this election, um, let us know what your vision is for Columbia and what are your policy priorities uh, for the city and uh, during this campaign. So tell us what, you know, what is your vision for Columbia? Where do you see the city in five to 10 years? And what are your policy priorities to getting there? So my vision for Columbia, Columbia has a lot of good that's happening and we have a lot of areas that needs improvement. From collectively listening to other candidates and uh, listening to what people in the community are saying, um, listening to people that actually work for the city, is we can kind of drill down and narrow down the things that we probably need to work on. So one of the things in terms of my vision that I would love to bring and advocate for is that constant reminder of community development, which is very important. And I think that community development should be equal across all of our four districts um, and should be represented equally by our at-large candidates for all of those four districts and ultimately our mayor, which makes up that seven-person council. Um, so with community development, let's start with the basics because sometimes we start at the top and work our way down. But I'm one, if you clean up around your own back door, that's a good starting place. So looking within the city, we have to get a handle on the cleanliness within our city. That's basic stuff. That's basic housekeeping. We have loads of trash that's piling up. Now, whether these be illegal dumping sites or people are just trying to get trash um, out of their yards or out of their backyards or even in their dumping areas within their neighborhoods because it's there too long, we do know that because of the pandemic, the city is down on uh, solid waste workers. And that's something that's very important, okay? We pay taxes for public works. So we have to figure out some kind of solution in there because this is something that ultimately affects everybody. We're in the middle of a pandemic and we want cleanliness to be that guiding force for us throughout the city because ultimately cleanliness does what? Beautification does what? It leads to bigger and better things. That's kind of morally and uh, just from a cultural standpoint of how our society operates is, you know, if, if if I go to an interview and I have on clean clothes and my clothes are neat, that's a step in the right direction of trying to move towards what getting that job. So we talk about bringing jobs to Columbia. We talk about bringing investments and opportunities. Well, the analogy that I often give people in the community, they'll ask, well, are you all going to fight for this organization and this business to come? And I said, let's let's reel this in a little bit on a micro level. And right where we're standing, let's look, let's do a 360 turn. 
And let's look at our environment around us and ask ourselves if we had millions of dollars and wanted to invest, would we invest in a particular area based on what we see around us? So I try to use that from a micro standpoint to encourage people to take care of the environment and take care of the properties around them because those things do matter in terms of creating that big vision for the city. What, what people think of Columbia, what businesses, what, what does investment think of Columbia, which is very big. So that community development um, and, and when people are taking care of what's around them, you know, they are going to be more uh, passionate about, um, you know, and say something like in, ensuring that we engage the young people around us, that, you know, that care, caring about uh, promoting job opportunities, caring about hiring people that live in the, that are local to the community, um, care about creating those business opportunities. And, and these are not just for community members. These are things for people that I'll be working with on council, bringing that community development, bringing that care to ensure that the community is taken care of because ultimately businesses need the community and the community um, needs business. Um, gun violence. When we, when I, when I canvass and I go into a neighborhood and there are five young men most of them predominantly African-American men under the age of 22 that are all on probation or parole or they have pending charges, they have an anklet on. What does that say about our city? Constant complaints of break-ins and gun violence. What does that say about our city? So in creating those solutions, we have to start micro community development, focusing on empowering and bettering and creating those opportunities to ensure that our community members are on the right track um, and promoting and encouraging others to take care of one another. And so I hear you that, you know, it starts with beautification and community development, but where does, where does that community development lead us? What to you is kind of like the ultimate vision, I guess. Like, where are we going? Where are we heading towards? Yes. So I spoke about some of that uh, just now. Talked about creating those job opportunities. So District 1, um, because I want to make sure that I create the parameters for District 1, because ultimately that's what I'm running for. Um, when we have a lot of ex-offenders in District 1. So as I just stated, when we have if I can walk into a yard during canvassing and see five young men that have under the age of 22 that are already convicted felons, where do we go from here? Do we continue in the path and allow that cycle to continue and we have more people that are, or do we start somewhere to say, hey, we have individuals that are ex-offenders, let's engage them to divert them from recommitting and reoffending. District one needs a trade school. We need a trade school. One of the things as a corrections employee with inmates, a lot of them are in prison because of selling drugs. They understand the art of selling something, but it needs to be something legal. 
So creating that trade school to ensure that people have the skills that they need so that they are not in this crosshairs of reoffending so that they can get onto a job. The city have a wonderful program uh, where they hire, uh, you know, ex-offenders. I, I really encourage a lot of the young men in our community who are have pending charges who are not eligible right now to apply. Solid Waste has 30 vacancies for solid waste workers. So we need individuals to fill those jobs. We have a lot of jobs open. Beautification also leads to, as I stated earlier, investments. Whether it be people from outside of our community or we have individuals that within the community that want to invest into a business, it's going to make that process more likely because they feel like, okay, I don't want to I don't need to go to West Columbia or Lexington to invest in a business. I can do that right here in the city of Columbia and possibly hire people from the community that keeps that cycle of community development improving, hiring people that are local to the area into those jobs. Once we have more individuals on jobs and with a promising future, we should see a decrease in things like gun violence and break-ins. Because that's a big concern for District 1, no matter where in District 1 you live. There is, when I listen to the police reports at community meetings, there is some type of violence that's going on, some some sort of of criminal activity going on. And we have a lot of ex-offenders that are not on jobs. Engaging our youth, churches, businesses, schools, having programming, getting with the school board putting those programs in place during the summer to engage our youth. That in itself cuts down on crime. 29203 zip code is known for what? Having a large percentage of crime happening. So in in creating that vision for 29203 and connecting that to the overall city's vision, for 29203, we want to decrease the crime. We want to provide more jobs. We want to decrease people re-offending and improve investment, more investment into our community. District 1, there's a disparity in investment from one side of District 1 to the other. And we want to knit that together and bridge that gap to allow opportunities for everybody. Because ultimately, that's what representation is about. Fair representation. Everybody wants to have, we have the America at one time was referred to as the melting pot. We want to have representation in place that does what? Represent the masses. You want to have black leaders, white leaders, Asian, Hispanic, Indian, wherever. You want to have that proper representation. And in that proper representation, not just having a person that fits that particular demographic, but opportunities for that particular demographic Mm -hmm. to further improve um that particular group of people right right thank you um that's a that's a that's a beautiful vision i really i really appreciate that and can get behind that for sure so this is our second to last question basically our last question um and we've been asking this to all the candidates it's it's a fun question so if you had a magic wand if i had a magic wand and i could you know wave it around and make one policy 
come true of yours. No opposition, uh, no limits on budget. If you had, if we had this magic wand, we could make one policy come true for the city of Columbia. What would that be for you? I'll state it again. I would wave the magic wand. I would spread it like mayonnaise. Community development. Our city have many businesses. And for instance, I'll, I'll give you an example. We have a 36, I think, million dollar brewery that's coming to North Maine. Great investment in the community. Great job. What else is needed on that side of town that's not there? That would probably, it may even take not even $100,000 to put in place. A community grocery store. What else on that side of town is needed in that area? More sidewalks. What else is probably needed in that area to decrease crime? Trade schools. So if I could wave a magic wand and like I said, spread it over like mayonnaise, probably two or three layers, it would be community development, meaning equal. Because we can throw a dab of this and throw a dab of that out there. But ultimately, some of these problems are longstanding and they still remain. And there does not seem to be a solution in sight. We had a whole forum a few days ago on access to healthy food. And we have a brewery that's coming that's $36 million, which is a great investment. I've talked to Mr. Uh, briefly spoken with Mr. Middleton. He said they were going to have a kitchen with healthy food options. But if we can close on a big investment and have that supported even at the state level, surely we can have a grocery, a community grocery store implement it into that community. Once again, Columbia, we really need to lay on community development really thick this time around on city council. Thank you for that. I think that that's um, a very worthy vision and, and I like that. I mean, community development can mean a lot of things, but you also broke it down, right? Sidewalks, grocery stores, um, trade schools. Um, so that's a, I think if I had a magic wand, that would definitely be where my policy wish would go. So Krista, we'd really like to thank you for joining us today on Soda City Speaks. And before we let you go, please let us know in one sentence, like your elevator pitch, why Krista? And where can listeners find out more and follow your campaign? Yes. So I'm Krista Williams running for Columbia City Council. Um, I'm going to be that constant reminder, as I stated, of community development, empowering our community members. We have a lot of talent that's out there in the homes that have businesses going on. We want to pull you out of the homes and we want you to put you in a storefront. We want you to empower the community, hire people uh, from the community to uh, run your businesses um, and your stores. We want to clean up Columbia. We have trash all around us and we want to get Columbia cleaned up. Um, and we definitely want to ensure that we are finding opportunities and ways to engage our youth, keep put our ex-offenders onto jobs, get them tra trained up um, and on the job. Last but not least, uh, Harbison, uh, Lost Creek area, we have not forgotten about you. Um, and thank you um, to all of the uh, residents over there that put together 
the business association that put together the grant to get the business association over there. We know that Harvesting Hospitality Tax offers a lot um, to Columbia, and we, we want to recognize you um, with that. So um, I can be reached. My website is www.kristawilliams.com, C-H-R-I-S-T-A, williams.com. I'm also on Facebook, and I'm also on um, Instagram. Uh, my cell phone number is 803-378-0182 if you need to call me. And I live right off of Colonial Drive, eight blocks from Colonial College at 5510 Colonial Drive. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you very much. Take care. Have a good afternoon. Soda City Speaks, we are so excited that you're here with us again for another episode, and we have just really been enjoying our time with Tina Herbert this afternoon. Um, we've been having some awesome conversation off mic, um, just talking more about the city and her life and what she's doing, and uh, you are so engaging, so I'm excited for this conversation, um, for everybody to hear what your vision is for the city. So we'll start off with you like we do with everybody. And if you can just tell us who is Tina Herbert, um, if you are not from Columbia, what brought you here, uh, and why are you running? Okay. So I am Tina Herbert, and, and Tina Herbert is a, 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 a attorney who's been practicing 21 years, but born and bred right here in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and I was, uh, my first home was uh, an apartment complex called Willow Run right in 29203 um, where my parents were married. And um, now some 47, yeah, I'll be 47 this year, 47 years later, I can walk to Willow Run Apartments. Wow. Um, and sometimes I do for exercise. Um, so born and bred here, I really understand the folks here. Um, I'm proud to be a part of four generations. My grandmother is 97 years old and lives in Enzer Forest, which also happens to be in District 1. Um, And so I often joke with people um, because my paternal grandparents lived on Gary Street, which is in District 1. And I joke with people that, um, oh, I have to do, if I have the wonderful opportunity to serve the district, um, don't worry about me not doing anything because I have too many family members, too many friends, uh, too many Keenan alumni who will personally hold me accountable. Um, and I like that accountability. Um, and I like being homeborn and, and homebred. And the reason that I'm running is because I see the potential of our city. Um, I am one of those folks that left at 17, never to return again, (laughs) never to return again. Um, And all I did was go to Raleigh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, But then I had traffic and and I remember my commutes um, and and the cost of gas. And I just remember calling my mom eight years later after undergrad um, at St. Aug and then um, law school at NCU, I was in um, North Carolina Central. I said, Mom, I'm coming home. And, and, and I literally came back home to her house because I was just tired. Um, and so um, the place that I thought I would never come back to, I came back to, and I've been loving it ever since. Mm-hmm. And what I really thought about was Columbia doesn't have everything that Raleigh has, but why can't we? You know, why can't we take some of those things that we really enjoy, that I really enjoyed, and create those things here or help create those things here? And so um, I've been doing that for the last 21 years, and I'm looking forward to continue to do that and help build my city on city council. Thank you for that answer, um, Tina. And it's nice to hear that, you know, 
you're born right here in Colombia and, you know, decided to come back. And I think that that's important. And I think we've talked to a few people who are also, um, you know, returnees, so to speak. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's nice, you know, as n- not being from Colombia and loving the city so much, um, it's just really nice to see that energy as well. Well, and I think what people... <laughs> I think the good thing about being homegrown is so important to go see something else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. To see what the, I, I say exposure just makes a world of difference for people mm-hmm. and see what other cities are doing and what other communities are doing so that you then know that maybe what you have at home doesn't have to be the way that it is. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think that it's the best thing. You know, a lot of folks don't want to send their kids off to college because they may never come back. <laughs> some of them may not, but then some of them will realize home is much better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more used to it. So I encourage folks and I encourage, you know, our citizens just to go see other things and so that we know what the potential is and not because South Carolina, I love South Carolina, but change is hard mm-hmm. in South Carolina. Um, And so I think the only way that we'll get people to really understand the need for change is for them to have exposure to different things in different cities. And so speaking of this need for change and your passion for Columbia, please tell us what is your vision uh, for the city? Where do you see the city in five to 10 years? And what is really your goal in running and being on council? So um, I tell folks I have a very, very simple vision, and it's that that every citizen can live their best life. And my mission in running for council is making sure that the city of Columbia is using all of its resources to help its citizens live their best lives, whatever that is for that particular citizen, and that they aren't creating any unnecessary barriers. And how I feel that we can achieve that is every dollar we spend – every vote we take, every decision we make, every hire we make, that we may ask these questions. Number one, is it equitable? How is this impacting everyone? Number two, is it empowering our citizens? And does it reflect the voice of our citizens? And number three, is it economically sound? I want to know if it's going to contribute to the economic stability or growth of the citizens or of the city as a whole. And so in five or 10 years, what I would hope is that we have a lot of statistics. Um, and, And I think statistics are important because we do have to be able to measure where we are. Um, A lot of times people say we have to move the needle where you kind of have to know where the needle is, you know, and set goals. And I'm really big on setting goals, but um, I would love to see, particularly in district one, if we could move the needle, as they say, um, in home ownership, Um, because I think that in that particular area, um, wealth creation is so vital to the lives of every single citizen. Um, And I talk a lot about money and sometimes it makes people uncomfortable, but the money, but money or the lack of money just impacts so many day-to-day decisions. And I think that people who have tons of money really don't understand um, the struggles of people who have very little or have to make really, really hard decisions. And so if we can create some equalizers, which I would include, you know, job, um, having workforce jobs and actually training the people so that we can fill the jobs, Um, making sure that we can keep our young talent. We have um, all of these institutions. Uh, We have USC, Allen, Benedict, Lutheran, um, CIU. And if I, um, I hope I might be missing something. The one right in your. Oh, Columbia college. (laughs) And I love my favorite one, Columbia college. Um, But, 
we have to make sure that when um, young folks are graduating, and I was kind of like a non-traditional, but where are they going? And that are they able to see Columbia as a viable place to stay? And in order to do that, we have to have jobs for them. Um, they have to have a place to stay that they can afford as as young professionals. Um, and so there are a myriad of things that I think from an economic development standpoint that we need to do that will move our city and help our citizens. Because at the end of the day, too, um, I'm all about the individual person. Okay, So we can build as many buildings as we want. Um, and I don't have a problem with building buildings, but why are we building them? For the people who are going to use them. And so at the end of the day, it's all about ensuring that each and every citizen feels a part of the process, that they have a voice, and that their concerns are um, being addressed. Now, what I also know is the city can't address every single problem that's going on in people's lives. And so that is probably where we get in the most trouble, I think, because we try and solve all problems and we really can't or we don't have the skill set or we really need consultants or people who specialize. Um, and so that's very important. I think that if the city could focus on a, a few certain things, bring in the proper partners to help in other areas, um, that we can really see the city um, more vibrant. And by the city, I mean city individuals, more people who feel a part of the city, um, who have pride about the city. Um, I use, I really hate when I have classmates or friends who are like, yeah, I'm stuck here in Columbia. And I'm like, I chose to be here in Columbia. And I don't mind telling people I could get a job anywhere in this country. And some people would say, you know, that that that, that sounds arrogant or something, or that's confident. It's a part of me being a Keenan High graduate and a college graduate. I mean, working really hard, but I do truly believe that I could get a job anywhere in this country. But I choose to be right here in Columbia. And so I want everyone to have that same mindset, not that you're stuck here, but that you're here because you want to be here and that you love being here. So five or 10 years, more people having that mentality. And I can't say what everyone's best life is. For a retired person, it just may be, um, can I get a condo? Um, don't I don't want to you know, maintain a yard and I want to be able to go on walks every day. Um, for a young person, you know, it may be um, having the right college to go to and transportation to get there. Um, for someone my age, it's, you know, um, having a job or owning a business um, and being able to sustain it and, and grow wealth. So everyone is in different stages. There is no best life um, um, exact uh, look or definition, but we have to meet people where they are, and we should have a variety of resources to help all of them know that there's something that the city can help them with, or at the very least, the city is not preventing them from achieving what they want to achieve. Um, well, I have to say first that I appreciate that uh, when you were talking about young people, I don't know if you did this on purpose, <laughs> but your hand went towards me, and. <laughs> Did it? Did it? Did it really? It. it I didn't. I, I didn't. No, no, no. I didn't notice it. I didn't no, notice it. No, no, it. no. I appreciate it because, as my friends, as my friends are reminding me that I'm getting closer and closer to thirty. Uh, I turned twenty nine in November. Um, so I'm no. I'm being reminded that I'm getting quote old because I'm I'm almost to thirty. So thank you for that. Um, um, but I also have to say as, um, as the interviewer, if you will, 
um, I'm sitting there while you're answering that question thinking to myself, how am I going to ask this next question? Because you are so articulate already in the policy. Like you, you were already starting to dig into some of the ways that you wanted to see that happen. So I, I in one term want to commend you for that because I like that you have the substance there, but give you this opportunity here to maybe expound a little bit on some of the specifics. And so I think that question was a little bit more meta about five to 10 years. Right. Let's bring it to a more micro level and right. talk about your first couple years in office or, or maybe throughout this term. Right. Um, what are some of your policies? You know, I, I think politicians often get accused of having grand visions, grand plans, mm-hmm. getting everyone hopeful. How do we do it then? How, right, how do we tangibly right. make some of those things happen? So there are a couple of different vehicles. And um, the beautiful thing about council, I think, is that in order to get most things done, the fir- and I used to work for the city. And my first day on the job, um, the gentleman that hired me said, you can make anything happen with four votes. Mm. Okay. And so number one, I, Tina Nicole Herbert, can't necessarily make anything happen. But I do believe that I can galvanize mm-hmm. four votes. And so whenever I say, and, and here's the thing, I'm hopeful that we would have the support. Um, there are a couple of things that are on the horizon um, going to wealth creation and decreasing disparities. Um, the city is finally undergoing a disparity study. And the disparity study looks specifically at how much we're spending with minority owned, um, minority owned businesses, women owned businesses, and they look at, into every um, category of ethnicity. Um, and so they're going to do a deep dive into all of our expenditures to make sure that we are spending a proportionate amount of money in the right communities. Um, I can't wait to be a part of that process because once they do the study, they'll give us options to say whether or not we need policies or not. And I just, I just want to be there for it um, because I wrote the current CDBE program, which helped us increase our spend expenditures with disadvantaged businesses. Um, but now we'll have more concrete information. So that's one policy that I hope is going to be on the horizon. I think that will probably be something very easy to pass because of the data that's going to be supporting it. Um, the other things I'm looking at is the use of our, um, we have entitlement dollars and entitlement dollars help us to fund community programs. It helps us to fund um, housing programs because we have home dollars um, trying to target those funds. And we used to have target areas, but we were targeting, I think, four or five communities, maybe honing those down just a little bit to 29203, just for a few years, um, because we have programs where we can turn renters into homeowners. Um, but I also think that we have to do more wraparound services for folks to make sure. Um, so for instance, when I bought my home, and I think I was really reluctant because I was like, this is a lot of work. Um, and so preparing people more for what a lot of work looks like um, and preparing people for if you have never cut your grass, you need to consider that and how often you're going to have to do it in the summertime. I and mean, some of these things are really fundamental, but we realize that a lot of people don't know and a lot of renters don't know. Um, so looking at how we can um, direct some funds and do some targeted investment in certain areas. And if we can target our home dollars and home ownership along with some of our OBO dollars for small businesses Mm -hmm. in a particular corridor. Okay. So now you're bringing more people in and more homeowners 
and you're bringing in more small minority women-owned businesses at the same time on a particular corridor, if you target it right and if you concentrate it right, then you can start spurring growth. Um, In the past, we have been a little too scattered. Um, And and that's because, honestly, it's really hard to tell citizens, well, we only have X amount of dollars. And if we really want to see the impact, let us concentrate on a certain a certain few blocks if you really want to see the impact but usually okay citizens what about us and what about us and what about us so um i'm really gonna probably try and help council um really see the importance of targeting because i so for instance my department did the facade program downtown and you saw the impact downtown immediately because it was a condensed space. We spent about four hundred five hundred thousand dollars We were able to leverage it $6.1 million in private dollars. That's how you use city dollars. Take a little bit of city money and you pull in a whole bunch of private money. When we did it on North Main Street, we did like, like eight miles or something. It was really, really long. Mm-hmm. So although we did it, you really couldn't see the same impact. Um, now... Um, but we did what we were asked to do, and the businesses that we helped, you know, they were um, they were grateful. So that's two areas. The last thing um, is, I used to be a public defender. I don't know if people know that. So I, used, I I've had many I lives. Know that. Look, I've had many lives. I've had many lives, and and so what what people don't understand is that's that's honestly why I'm able to talk in different areas because I've had many lives. Um, <laughs> so I I. I um, And I have friends who are police officers, and I love them dearly, but I do want to make sure that we're looking at our police force and making sure that they are first fully staffed um, and then looking and working on uh, police morale, but then also making sure that we are really emphasizing that all citizens want to feel safe and they also want to know that their rights aren't going, their civil rights aren't going to be violated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a critical area, and we have to balance that with the increase in crime rates, and it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are three areas that I find um, really important. And then, of course, then we have recovering from COVID, um, and how we're going to help people um, both physically recover. Um, because the debt that folks are in, I read somewhere that people who have to end up going into the hospital, their medical bills are about fifty grand if they have to have a significant um, hospitalization. So that means that you may end up in bankruptcy. Seriously, even if you make it through it, you may end up in bankruptcy. And then our businesses that have to recover. Um, some businesses and some business owners have plenty of wealth and have plenty of savings and um, are able to take advantage of programs, and so they'll they'll weather the storm. Some businesses are going to go out and folks are never going to be able to return. And so how do we start helping um, people pick up the pieces so that they can recover? Um, Because it looks like this is going to be here for a little bit longer. Tina, thank you for for that answer and really laying out these three kind of areas that you want to concentrate on in a very kind of realistic way like you know what the city can and can't do and I think and I really appreciate that and then what are the policies that at the level of the city can happen Mm -hmm. and that it's not you you know like you said you need four votes right so that's and that's I think also very humbling for anyone running for council is that um, as much as you love the city as much as the thing the visions you have you have to work with others so thanks for reminding us of that and the only thing I'll add too is and what people do have to understand and why policy changes I think are so significant is because the city can have a quote unquote program 
And if staff changes or they go in a different direction, that program may go away. Mm -hmm. Um, So we often talk about the city used to have or what have you. Um, But when you make policy changes, Mm -hmm. policy changes, policy can't change again (laughs) until you get another four votes. Mm -hmm. And so if you really want to have systemic change that the city has to do, Um, And to make sure that there's longevity, because a lot of times you really need to see things in place for a while to see, Mm -hmm. you know, if Mm -hmm. you're going to really have the impact. Um, Policy is the way to do it. And it stays there until you get four votes to change it back. Mm -hmm. Don't tell anyone the big (laughs) secret. No, I love that. I think that you just summed up why I have told so many people the importance of running for office and and for myself, why I ran and potentially may do that again is because, you know, folks often look at me and say, you're in the church world and you're in nonprofit world and you're serving people and you've got these programs and you're addressing these problems. And I often tell them it doesn't matter how long I'm addressing the problem unless the systemic problem changes through policy. And so while we're doing great work in the world of housing Mm -hmm. in our nonprofit, I could literally be doing housing work the rest of my life if the systems never change through policy. And so it's extremely important what you just said. Well, and we need that same spirit. Um, We need people who care about people. Um, And I often tell people as – as a as a Christian, that we really do need Christian folks who are making decisions that are just and righteous for people, mm-hmm. because not just decisions because it's going to benefit this person or that person, but truly making decisions that look at all people and how it's going to impact people, um, and and may, yet may benefit some over others, but really making sure that you're having a holistic picture. And it's the right thing to do, and it's the just thing to do. Mm-hmm. We call it equitable now, but I remember my pastor just, he said a prayer, and he said, and I'm praying for our leaders to make just and righteous decisions, mm-hmm. and that's my goal. And that's the thing that, and then we can move to the next question, but I think that's the thing that I want people to understand so much about the role of government. I think we've come to a place in our society, and I'm not going to act like, We've never been here before, but we are so divided Mm -hmm. and we are so focused on if you're not in my party, if Mm -hmm. you're not in my tribe, if you're not on on my trek, then you're automatically, I don't want to say evil, uh, but but in some instances, that's how we treat the other side. You're not even welcome to the conversation because you're not in my tribe. And what I want people to understand is when legislation gets enacted, Mm -hmm. it always affects you. It affects your day-to-day life, Mm -hmm. whether that is positively or negatively. And so you have to stop looking at it as just, oh, government is bad, less government, less politicians. Get away from those systems. No, you need to be engaged in those systems. You need to be a part of those processes because the policy affects your everyday life. Mm -hmm. And if we're not working towards that policy being equitable and being just, Mm then therefore you are a part of policy that is affecting people negatively. Mm -hmm. And so the only way that you can actually change society for the better, yes, is a part of just being a kind person Mm -hmm. and just being engaged in your community, but it's always being engaged in the legislative process too because that is what literally affects every single person day to day. Well, and the last thing I'll say is, but that is the beauty of municipal government because we are nonpartisan, okay? And so... It gives different people with different thoughts 
and different positions the opportunity to come together um, and really try to make decisions without a party platform. Mm-hmm. Um, because you are absolutely right when we get to parties and, and we weren't always this polarized. Um, but right now it's just really hard to get anything done. Um, but on a municipal level, um, our structure should help us mm-hmm. to make the de- better decisions and not um, be so polarized. Mm-hmm. Should. Yeah. Should. Magic wand. And I, I mean, I'll echo that sentiment because I think um, the only kind of level of government that I have confidence and hope in is the municipal level for that reason, is that it is nonpartisan. I mean, in theory, nonpartisan, in theory. Mm-hmm. right? And that, you know, like you said, engaging with the legislative process, with the, you know, with the policy process is so important. And that's why I switched from doing programming work in nonprofits to doing policy and advocacy work, right? So that you, you know, running for office is not the only way, of course, that you can affect policy. Like being mm-hmm. engaged in that process is super important. And I think, you know, all of my, you know, like you, all of my, you know, whatever, 20 years of working in nonprofit, um, I've realized that that's where, you know, a good part of the change can happen is in that policy and advocacy uh, process. So saying all that, our next question (laughs) maybe ignores those rules a bit, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) this is our our fantasy question that we ask. It's our our fun question, I always say. Oh, goodness. Um, Yeah, it's a fun question. I gotta be fun. Okay, let me try. (laughs) I think I can do it. I think I can do it. Okay. Um, So, if we, if you, if we had a magic wand that we could lend to you, um, and we, what is this again? I always forget. Twirl it? Wave. The the word is wave. If I could wave my magic wand and any policy, just one policy that you want to come to fruition, no needing the four notes, uh, four votes, no needing to kind of garner that advocacy support. What is that one, that one policy that you would make come to life in the city? If you had that magic wand. Wow. (laughs) Um, I would have to say um, our mandatory requirements for spending dollars with minority and women-owned businesses. Um, And and that study will literally break out Asian-Americans Hispanic Americans. It, so it, it it really does break down a lot of categories. And the only reason I say that is because it has the potential to start reversing years and years of people being systematically um, out of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it for me, that would probably be the first thing because it's been so long that people have been left out of the system. Okay. And we, we need to start that because the other part of it is because it's going to take a long time mm-hmm. to even try and re. I don't think we can ever rebuild it, but it'll take a long time to process. Um, so if I had a magic wand, that would probably be it um, for right now. <laughs> but when you say that, that is just like I just went through a whole bunch of stuff. We could go through masks and COVID. No, I mean, because there's so many things. But yeah. I, I think that I would say that is probably the, the main one because I also um, also know the impact of it. Yeah. Okay. Some of the other policies that I'm suggesting, we're hopeful 
that they will have change. But that one I know definitely mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I'm a, if I'm gonna do some magic, <laughs> I want to do the one that I know for sure will have a, a measurable impact. And because the other ones, um, we might do it and y'all might get mad at me and say <laughs> that didn't work out. But, you know, but I tell people we still have to try things. Yeah. Um, we, we cannot just sit back and I, I, I think we just sit back and be like, I don't know about that. And I, um, my friends always fuss that I have to go into a voice when I'm saying, but I do. I don't know about that. But that's what we hear. You know, we went on to try that because we've never done that before. Well, maybe it's time to start. Um, and so so we have to try new things. We do benchmark and we look at what other cities are doing mm-hmm. um, and try and really, um, really uh, get out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm to see the city that we want to see because doing the same thing over and over and over again is not going to get us anything different. So um, I'm excited about the future of Columbia. Um, I'm excited about the potential of Columbia. I think I represent the potential of Columbia. Um, I'll tell anyone I'm not supposed to be right here running for city council right now. Um, if, if the statistics were right and, and, and what they say about the neighborhoods were right, I would not be right here running for city council. So um, I think I represent that potential. Um, and I think because I have had the journey that I've had personally and professionally, I can help move Columbia forward. Um, and I think that we're also in a very different time. Um, that we're in a very different time across this country um, because I also uh, like to bring people together. Um, while I can be confrontational, I really think that we are more alike then we are not alike. Mm-hmm. And so really focusing on what the things that we do agree on and what can we move forward? Cause I got to check boxes off y'all. I got to check boxes <laughs> off. So, you know, really, and I'm looking for low hanging fruit. So what can we agree on? What mm-hmm. can we move forward? So let's move that. And we might put, you know, let's put the fight on for next week, but this week, if we can agree on one, two, three, let's get one, two, three done. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, and being a advocate for folks, um, and for my city, um, and making my family proud. I think you preempt our you preempted our next question a bit, but we'll still ask it. But I just want to say, in terms of your magic policy, that I mean, I think if we want justice, if we want accountability, if we want some form of reparation, that we need to be deliberate, right? Like absolutely. And and you know where people are like, oh, I don't see race, or you know, like we can you start from here and everyone will be like, no, we have to kind of point out what does that history look like? And like when I was working at the Nick and I was a film programmer, I would every film I would show, I would then mark is it created by a person of color, is it created by a woman, is it queer uh, created by a queer a filmmaker and then mm-hmm. tally those numbers like mm-hmm. they're you know we yeah. can be direct right. about what representation looks like and if we're in a position to be direct to name it i think people are really scared to name black brown asian to our listeners again i, I this was a little long but i hope that you enjoyed the content and so i'll round us out here like we always do this is the easy question okay um there are uh, multiple candidates running across the board, but let's bring it home again. We're okay. we're back in District One because okay. that is where you're running. Right. Um, you have one opponent there. Right. When I walk into the booth, and I can say that literally because I'm in District One. So when I walk into that booth and making my decision on who to vote for, 
why Tina Herbert? Um, and then after you answer that, if you can just tell folks where to find your campaign and follow okay. you. Um, well, I, I think that you want to vote for a person such as myself, Tina Herbert, number one, because I know the community. I understand the issues. The issues personally impact me. Um, and number two, because I have proven results in impacting change. Um, when I was at the city um, working with um, how we spend money with minority businesses and women-owned businesses, we didn't have a goal. So we started with a goal. Then we had to implement, literally, my department implemented a system where every department would then report their numbers and that we would have dual control so they would feel comfortable with those numbers once we had a goal. And so two or three years later, we met the goal because of that process that we put in place. And then I was so happy to hear that they increased the goal. Mm. It was started at 10%. They increased it to 15%. But we never would have gotten there if we didn't first start a goal, okay, and then put a sound process in place. So I literally have proven results of establishing policy, uh, implementing policy at the city, and the results to show from it. Um, and so if you want someone with proven results and impacting change in the city, you would want to vote for Tina Herbert. And to find out more about me, you can go to www.tinaherbert.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the time. I know we've really enjoyed it. We really have. Thank you. Tina, have a great afternoon. Thank so to y'all, say, y'all Remember too. to get out and vote on November 2nd. we're back. Thank you to Tina and Krista for spending that time with us and telling us what they want for District 1. And we really do hope again that you will come out and vote in November 2nd, especially if you're in District 1 or 4. I mean, I guess not 4. Because (laughs) um, there is no opposition in District 4. So definitely if you're in District 1 like uh, our fair Dylan here, you should definitely come out and vote. Everyone should vote though. (laughs) Except for me, because I can't vote. That was the best. Just go vote, everybody. Just vote. Just Just vote. vote. All right. It is time for our community listings. What do we have up for uh, for September? Wow. I almost said December. Oh, gosh. That's where I am. No, don't do that. You yelled at me earlier (laughs) for saying we were two weeks in. All right. Saturday marks the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and memorials will be held all across the country. Uh, Locally, at 8 a.m. at the Columbia Metro Convention Center, you can join and honor the hometown heroes who lost their lives in this remembrance ceremony program. Adventure Children's Museum is celebrating Community Heroes Month and offering free admission to military first responders and their immediate family up to four people every Friday in September. Photo ID and badge must be shown at check-in. To reserve your tickets, visit Adventure's website and use the promo code HERO. Dominion Energy presents Rock for Recovery featuring Edwin McCain. Oh, I like him. On Friday, September 24th from 6.30 to 10 p.m. at the Ice House Amphitheater in Lexington. The cost is $25. Edwin McCain is going to Rock for Recovery at the Laredak Foundation's alcohol-free fundraising concert. All proceeds will help raise awareness about the healing power of recovery from substance misuse. 
Arts and Drafts is back in person. That's Columbia's Museum of Arts Art Beer Party. This month celebrates the closing of the Soviet art exhibition, The Ironic Curtain. The entertainment is more provincial, though. It will feature local artists, music, and arts. And also lots of local food and beer vendors. This party starts at 7 p.m. on September 10th. Admission is $10 and $5 for members. It is a great fun party. Come out to the Columbia Museum of Art. Support Haven Home and local businesses. Come out on Saturday, September the 18th from 8 a.m. to noon and shop our yard sale filled with gently used items, peruse local artisans and vendors, and enjoy some breakfast and brunch from local food trucks. Proceeds will benefit Haven Home, an organization that believes housing is a human right. You can find out more information by visiting havenhome.org or looking them up on Facebook and Instagram at havenhome.org. Columbia's Mahogany Music Festival runs September 9th to 11th and features a host of performances and workshops with the Color of Music Festival Orchestra a group that gathers some of the top black classical musicians in the U.S. to play the best of the classical canon as well as overlook compositions by black composers. This year's festival will feature the one and only Vanessa Williams. Full schedule and tickets, some of which are free, at colorofmusic.org. And that's color with a U because that's the way it's spelled. In 2013, Columbia City Council issued an edict that offered people a stark choice. Go to a 240-bed shelter meant to accommodate more than 1,800 homeless individuals, leave town, or go to jail. In documenting the city's attempt to criminalize the homeless, filmmaker Coletta Harris spotlights the activists who overturned the city's draconian measures and became an advocate for the homeless herself. The Luminal Theater presents a screening as part of its ongoing series at Curiosity Coffee Bar on September 15th. Tickets cost $10, and you can find out more at luminaltheater.org. And those are your community listings, opportunities to get involved in the city of Columbia during the month of September. And I got to say, Ome, you will see me at some of these events. Are you excited? These are awesome. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm always excited. You know what it really is? I use the same words. I figured that out about myself. How many times have we said hat in the ring? I, I use the same words and phrases. Anytime I post anything on Twitter, it's always, I am excited to let you know. <laughs> I, am, I, I saw two Twitter posts back to back and I'm like, wow, I used exactly the same sentence. So I also am excited. I think we need to do a, a shared episode with Gen Z Explains and learn... <laughs> some better lingo thank you for joining us in this great episode it's very exciting <laughs> of soda city speaks we hope you will come back next month and hear more from hear from more of the candidates we're definitely bringing you all of them this episode was produced and hosted by myself Ome Samar Hemkula and Dylan Gunnels and uh, you can follow us on all the social medias at soda city speaks or email us at SodaCitySpeaks at gmail.com. Join us next month and let Soda City speak.